Welcome to episode 27 of Maritime Software Hub, the People Podcast. My name is Callum Beaumont, the host of the show. Um, today I'm joined by John Wills, who's the VP of Product at a company called ShipNet. Um, and we're going to be discussing the opportunities for transparency in shipping um, and in particular in the, the commercial maritime space. So let's dive into it. Thanks a lot for joining us and I hope you enjoy the show. Hi, John. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. Very kind of you. You're very welcome. And yeah, really excited to have you on the show today. And, and obviously, we're going to talk about the very interesting topic, which I know you're passionate about, um, is, is kind of transparency in shipping. So yeah, yeah. really excited to hear your insights in, in that, um, that area. Thank so why don't we dive in, perhaps if you can give us a quick overview of, of your background and obviously your role now at uh, ShipNet. Okay, um, I'm, I'm, rel- I'm a relative newcomer to ship uh, to shipping. Uh, so I've been in the industry for about eight, nine years now, and maybe coming up to my tenth, which is a bit scary. Um, my first proper job was like turning around telecoms companies and things like that in the in the dot com uh, crash. I'm kind of that age, um, but from there I sort of went on to helping all kinds of organisations uh, become more efficient. And some of these were people like the NHS. Some of these were, um, you know, housing associations. Some of them were other private companies that were relatively small. Uh, I, if you want to sort of track a thread through the whole thing, like from right from the very start, it was always about helping people improve whatever it is they are doing by using data that they're probably generating just doing their day-to-day stuff. Uh, as I hit 40, I decided that I'd kind of done all I could in other sectors where I was working. And I just really fancied a big change, an entirely new field. Uh, I got a job selling performance, vessel performance management software. And I did that for a few years. And then I came to ShipNet, uh, where I've ended up uh, responsible for their products. So that's that's the start and the end of it so far. Yeah, fantastic. And now, obviously, your role at ShipNet um, currently, can you give a quick overview of, of what your day-to-day looks like and the type of projects that you look after? Oh, gosh. Um, well, I'm VP of product, so I kind of look look after the entire portfolio and I'm responsible for all of the revenue, um, all the recurring revenue that comes from that. I've got about 130 customers worldwide from the very, very big, so people like MOL, people like Wilson, uh, down to people who are much smaller. I probably spend about a third of my week um, on sort of like internal uh, projects, like getting the next wave of products ready, working with my product owners and product directors on that. I probably spend about a third of my week directly with customers. Um, which is the really interesting part of the job because I spent so long at the coalface myself in various other industries, uh, spending time with these guys who run massive ships everywhere, driving global trade is is super, super interesting. And I probably have about a third of general business management uh, in there as well. So a really, really, really varied week. And it's probably why I'm still at ship now after five years because I get bored very, very quickly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting you've got such a diverse position. Um, in general, do, do many do you see it being really important that um, product managers are engaging and speaking to their, their customers reg- regularly? Hundred percent essential. Hundred percent essential. The, the job for yeah. all of us is to is to solve our customers' problems. Now, we we happen to do it by building a building a product that we hope applies to every single one of our customers. But you, you know, the, the the fatal disease in product management is people who think they're right 
and they need to impose their correctness upon upon the people who are paying um, paying for the products. Uh, now, there's always a little bit of a discussion about how far do you lead your customers? You know, do you sort of force them to get involved with AI and ML, even though maybe they don't really know what it is? Or do you just sort of cravenly respond to everything they ask you for and hope that somehow your business will grow? The truth is you're kind of in the middle between those two things. But anybody who doesn't spend at least a third of their life listening very carefully what to what their customers uh, are telling them is probably going to be one of the startups that doesn't make it past the year or 18-month period, which I think is about 78% of them or something ask how. So no, listen carefully, because nobody has nobody has the right answer except the person who's paying the bill. So I mean, our products do kind of they cover all the bases. If you're if you're an owner operator of business or a third party ship manager, you can essentially pick up the phone and say, look, I need a one of everything to help me run my business. So we do everything from the revenue generation at the front end with a commercial management system or a VMS, quite quite often called, and then at the other end, we've got the asset management piece. Uh, where we keep your vessels compliant through safety, um, PMS maintained, so they're the right side of the water, i.e. above it, not below it. And then also the procurement <laughs> part, which uh, enables you to get the bits that you need in order to keep everything running. The um, We also have a financial management piece, which is actually ShipNet's first product. So that's we've been doing that middle bit for 30 years, and that glues the front and the back end together. So as a result of covering all of this stuff, we've kind of got the core data for all of our customers' operations there, and it's just ready to be um, interrogated and understood. And that's really the first step on a digital transformation journey for anybody in any industry. It's the, what have I got? What does it tell me? And what can I do as a result of it? And yeah. For years and years and years in shipping, people have been talking, you know, they've been using the, the Kelvin quote about in order to improve first, you must measure. The benefit for Shipnet and its customers is, is that actually pretty much everything you need to measure is probably in the box already. Uh, so the first, the sort of second step on the digital transformation journey is just getting the tools in order to interrogate that data and identify where you can start and they're freeing up uh, balance sheet capacity by managing your spares down to the level you actually need and not just the gut call of the fleet managers say um so that's okay. that sort of leveraging existing data uh is the first bit we quite often um also get involved with integrating solutions better so uh, a lot of customers come to us and say look we really like your pms We've got some issues with our sort of legacy procurement system. Can we bring your procurement system in so we've got a free flow of data between the two different components so we can really start to get a holistic view of how we are maintaining our vessels? And then sometimes it's actually about helping customers develop more data in their operations. So um, uh, doing doing a complete yes. revamp, say, of their noon and port reporting activities. So they're getting better data shoreside, so they've got better visibility about what's going on in the vessels. And that's the start. You know, there's some other things going on in the industry. Cool. Now, I was going to ask, who are your kind of main points of contacts typically within the, the your, your clients? Are they kind of procurement, IT, or more on the technical side? Um, who are you mainly speaking it's, to? Mainly at sea level for us. Yeah, because because we do sort okay. of one of everything, um, uh, you know, all the reporting lines end up with your, you know, your technical director, your commercial director, your CFO and your CEO. 
So um, it's much less talking to technical superintendents, which was kind of my domain when I was doing vessel performance stuff. And now it's much more right at the top table, yeah. which is great because we can do the, um, we can have the big conversations that are about strategic gains and business outcomes, as opposed to just little functionality nips and tucks and i just need a better report you know we can we can we can talk to people about things that will really 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 move the needle um for our customers which when you look at that the level sense. of investment that most it projects require is exactly the right uh is exactly the right kind of conversation to be having yeah no i think that makes perfect sense and okay so should we jump into the main kind of topic of the discussion today um and that's obviously transparency mm -hmm. in particular in the commercial shipping world so w when we talk about transparency with, with data and, and in shipping can you give us an idea of really what we're referring to and certainly in, in your eyes yeah i mean there's kind of two levels to it so the first one is transparency within your own operations and this is literally about let's get all of the data we can let's make sure it's decent quality let's groom it let's get it in one place and let's use it to really understand how we're performing um and i mean one of the great things about the shipping industry is all the numbers are really big you know the ships are huge they cost a vast amount they move a huge amount of stuff all around the world for everybody uh the revenues are big the costs are big so if you've got good enough data you can make relatively small improvements that have a big real world impact if you reduce your fuel consumption by five percent that's a million dollar plus uh, operation for even a relatively small uh, shipping company likewise if you can reduce your stock of spare parts by 20 percent or something you, you end up with sufficient capacity on your balance sheet to go out and buy new ships so there's there's real opportunities by just doing things that in smaller non-maritime businesses would be the equivalent of saving you a couple of quid on a ream of photocopier paper for shipping you can you can do real, real big things with them so that that's the first sort of level getting everybody inside the company access to the data and the tools to better understand what the status quo is and to find out um you know how they can improve the sort of second tier of transparency is making that data more available to everybody in the market and that's the bit that shipping is is lagging you know quite far behind other industries with because uh, everybody else i think is kind of comfortable with a lot of data being in the public space and the opportunities that that data being in the public space uh, the opportunities that brings uh, being a benefit to pretty much yeah. everybody yeah and i mean you touched upon other industries are, are there any examples you can share where um, I don't know, maybe the automotive or wherever it may be, um, where they're doing it particularly well that maybe we can learn from in shipping? Oh, uh, I'm crikey. Uh, there's loads. I mean, the, the, the sort of classic, uh, the classic transparency um, from other industries is actually eBay. So when you think about it, all eBay really did was make the contents of our attics okay. and our cupboards um, sort of like more visible. To, to everybody else across the world. And mm. um, what that, and it gave you a mechanism to monetize that basically. So, uh, you know, if I, if, I, if I discover an old guitar or something up in my loft and I put that on eBay and you buy it, yeah, I benefit because I've got 
200 pounds or something and, I, and i've got rid of the guitar that was taking up space next to my cold water tank you're pleased because you've just bought a, a guitar that presumably you wanted more than the 200 quid but also there's a sort of societal benefit as well because that guitar didn't end up in landfill i have two kids so like my um principal uh, environmental drain on the world is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of cubic meters of plastic tat uh that ebay has helped me successfully yeah. get rid of without it going to uh, you know, without it going to recycling or landfill. So eBay's like a, a really classic example of how a bit of transparency can bring mutual benefit and a wider indirect societal benefit. Um, but there, there isn't really an industry that hasn't benefited from the elimination of that sort of information asymmetry. Um, so, you know, and shipping is, 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 as I say, quite a long way behind on this one. So the the so information asymmetry is when one party in a trade has more information than the other, and it tends to disproportionately benefit the person that holds the most information, which is great for that person, but terrible for the other people in yeah. uh, firstly that deal, but also the industry more generally. So if you if we can use transparency and the availability of open data to eliminate some of that information asymmetry, you're going to end up with more efficient markets lower costs and prices because information asymmetry tends to mean that people end up paying a fairer price whatever they're buying uh, reduced market failure is another one improved decision making better trust and cooperation and then there's a whole bunch of sort of like second tier benefits uh, because obviously the more data you have in a place that's used by people the more data is generated by that because there's more trade going on and it's a virtuous circle where things improve you can look at virtually any other industry in the world and that they have all, I think pretty much without exception, taken advantage of the information asymmetry reduction that things like the internet has brought. But with shipping, it's not happened yet. And when it does, um, the net effects will be revolutionary in so many ways, in so many different levels. Um, I guess, I mean, you touched on it a little bit there. So in what way can better transparency kind of benefit either ship owners, charterers, or any anybody kind of involved within the commercial space? What are the main benefits, would you say, of better transparency? Well, price discovery for a start. So at, at the moment, one of the things that struck me when I came into shipping is that the act, and if you look at Fernley's newsletter, actually, every week, there's an awful lot of, we think that the market is doing this, we think that the market is doing the other. And, and it's quite simply, there's no effective method for price discovery in shipping. Uh, nobody really knows the value of um, uh, a trade. Nobody really knows what uh, number of ship should be um, being chartered at. Uh, so so a, a little bit of... Um, a little bit of transparency would, would take, I think, an awful lot of guesswork out of this. And as a result, the evidence from all the other industries is, is that the more confident people are in price, the more willing they are to engage in a trade. So the volume of trade increases. So more work gets done by the same amount of assets, uh, bringing a sort of generalized benefit across the piece. I think also as well, if there is better transparency and information symmetry, uh, you're more likely to achieve... Um, lower cost as well so this means there's a little bit of downward pressure on price but what it means is is that the goods that are transported by ship have a lower overhead 
for the transport. So in other words, everybody's cost of living goes down a little bit if there's nobody making sneaky super profits as you go through the supply chain. I think the other thing is that um, a bit more transparency would lead to a bit, of, a bit more security in that supply chain. So, um, you know, we wouldn't end up with these big market distorting events like, say, uh, Hanjin going bankrupt. And if you look back uh, through things like the Harper-Peterson Index, you see that the freight rates leapt immediately when Hanjin, uh, when Hanjin no longer was trading back in, I think it's 2017. Uh, so it, it's it's things like better information means that everybody can forecast and plan better, which is a reduction in risk, which manages prices to something more stable, which can be bad for individual ship owners who happen to be placed right at the individual time. And you, with your background, will know that there are killings to be made. But I think that the net effect on the industry as a whole is, you know, bad because you know, that huge volatility in price and the huge volatility in cost to the users of shipping at the end of it um, is probably a net disbenefit to everybody, to world, to the world. And, and the world is the ultimate customer of, of uh, shipping and shipping services because, you know, 90% of everything spends time on ships and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, you touched upon... Our background. So in in, broke, in the broking world, obviously, whether it's in sale and purchase or, or more likely chartering, perhaps for this type of discussion, it's that negotiation, that, that final fixture rate, those sort of um, publicly or publicizing those sort of figures up there. I know they're often obviously reported on later on once the fixture's done, but it's, it's that little bit of, of having an edge and a bit of negotiation by keeping your cards close to your chest, I think is still very important. Is that does that tie into what you're referring to with, with regards to tr transparency? Maybe having like certain rates for, for certain trades that are just like everyone knows, like typically this is the standard rate from A to B, that type of thing. Or is that, are you thinking more of, of, of different, different yeah. terms? I think, I, think, I, I think people have tried that in the past, and I'm not sure that it's gone anywhere particularly interesting. I think that. What we're probably likely to end up with is something that's that's almost unforeseeable from where we are right now. So in the same way that if you wanted to know, uh, say 30 years ago, if you wanted to know how much a particular item of furniture cost, you had to get pay somebody to come in from Sotheby's or somebody and they'll say, yeah, but you, you might get about £500 for it at auction or something like that. Now, if you want to know how much you, your table costs, you just go and you search on eBay and you can see the entire purchase history of all kinds of similar tables and maybe even the exact same one. And you can end up with a really, really, really good estimate of what the value of that table is at that exact moment in time. Um, so maybe, maybe we're not going to see things more like... Um, I don't know, a kind of standard price book, a bit like world scale or something that, that's shared generally and that is used as a baseline for negotiation. Maybe it will just be that somebody will be brave enough to put all the transactions in the public space and then people will be able to get a much better idea of the going rate. Because at the moment, that sort of information around the going rate, whether it's in sale and purchase, whether it's in chartering or whether it's just in, you know, in, in, uh, in, in the management of vessels like, costs for staff or all that kind of thing. None of that information is available in, in any significant way. 
in certain areas of operations in shipping, that information is becoming more available. So you've got things like uh, the EU's MRV program and the data that's being collected by Thetis. Eventually, these data resources are going to come in the public space and, and we'll have much better visibility of what I think um, you know is a significant cost, operating cost uh, for shipping generally. But it's the price discovery part that I think is where the, the biggest advantage is to be held. Now, how, how that breaks down into a, a product that we might launch, you know, no one knows. Who, who will be the one that drives that need for transparency? Will, will it be regulations from like the IMO or classification societies, that type of thing? Or, or will it be the ship owners themselves, which I imagine it won't be? But what, what, where do you think it will be coming from? You might find it is the ship owners, actually. I, I would imagine that the IMO would be pretty reluctant to get involved in the revenue generation side. You know, they're quite happy to impose costs through regulation. You know, you, you've got to improve your carbon emissions or you can't use this kind of fuel. Um, but I imagine that there will be a ship owner, maybe one of the, the sort of like more progressive, um, uh, you know, Northern European companies like, say, say Maersk or Hapag Lloyd or you know, maybe even, uh, you know, a bulk carrier like Wilson who will put that information out in the public space because they know that a reduction in the risk around price might drive more business to them and their revenues might grow through a growth in, in the volume of transactions yeah. rather than, uh, you know, like looking at short-term super profit opportunities. Um, it's happened everywhere else would be my response for people who doubt. You know, there's, there's nothing... Shipping's an unusual industry, but it's not exceptional. The you know, principles of supply and demand and information symmetry and all that still apply. So I can't see why it won't happen. The fact it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean that this isn't going to be the thing that happens in the next five or 10 years. And I think there is an appetite within shipping, even within sort of like profit-driven companies, to discover what's next for shipping. I mean, how, how many years have we been seeing articles about you know, startups are prophesizing Uber for shipping or, you know, the next big thing in shipping mm. is going to be, you know, something along these lines. I think it probably just needs one or two of the big guys to go, actually, do you know what? We've worked out that now this is in our interests to engage and to be more open and more transparent. Maybe it will come out of the ESG movement. You know, it's, it's difficult to tell, but it's, it, it will happen and it will probably happen in the next yeah. five to ten years. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Maersk and Hapag Lloyd. I think it was those two very recently just announced a, a strategic alliance. Um, and maybe that will link hopefully hopefully to perhaps a bit more transparency, depending on the projects they're working on and things. Uh, that could be a big good starting point. I think you saw a bit of a desire for transparency when you had a lot of the blockchain-driven projects, Yeah, where people were putting information out in the, in the distributed ledger uh, so they could be more open. And I think the the time for that was maybe not quite right. Uh, but I do think there is evidence that they will, that you know, some of the bigger uh, liners and carriers will, will go down that route of putting more information out there. If only as the demand mm. for more information um, becomes more, uh, sorry, the demand for more data from the users of shipping become more common. Quite a lot of our customers and now providing really quite detailed breakdowns of uh, you know carbon emitted in moving cargo from A to B. At the moment, that's largely being done in the form of static reports, 
Um, and I can't see people being satisfied with, you know, a, a PDF saying, you know, yeah. you burnt two and a half thousand tons worth of CO2, getting your wood from port A to port B. Pretty soon it's going to be people wanting sort of like real time or near real time data streams showing how much carbon was emitted on each day at each stage in, in the supply chain. And that's never going to be met with with static reports or sort of like um, post voyage uh, manual activity. It's going to be all all data pinging around all the time. Yeah, I guess having access to live sensors uh, will be the, the the best solution. I would have thought. Oh, obviously, way out my 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 topic zone. But like, yeah, I guess that actual kind of live feeds. Obviously, you've got you've got video live cameras, like companies like Shipping Systems, Orca AI, those companies developing really interesting kind of live um, visuals to help with maintenance and and um, reporting on 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 um, equipment and things. So maybe that's something that I'm sure will advance in that, that area. Yeah. And, and, and think where we were just sort of like 10 or 15 years ago in terms of connectivity onto ships, um, you know, there, there wasn't really high bandwidth, low latency um, connectivity to vessels. So there was almost no point in generating a lot of IOT or sensor mm. data on board a ship, because what are you going to do with it? You're going to put it onto a, like a USB stick and then post yeah. it to, to an analyst next time you get to port. But with the low Earth orbit um, satellite constellation, so Starlink, Elon Musk's things is the best yeah. known of them. Ships are no longer this isolated thing where if you're lucky, you can get a fax off once or twice a day or maybe even send an email if the weather's good. These places are going to be continuously connected and uh, you know the, the signal strength is probably going to be better than it is from my house. Judging by, uh, judging by some of the grief we're having getting this recording going, um, but as soon as that happens, and already we're talking to our customers, and they're sort of saying, "Yeah, we'll have complete Starlink coverage in three years." But as soon as those vessels are fully connected to the broader world, then you know IoT becomes really, really viable. Uh, just for, even if it's only for, for sort of like tracking. But also you can offshore all of the data that's generated by the engines, the auxiliaries, incinerators. You, so your carbon reporting all, all of a sudden can become automated. You can start doing really quite insightful measurement of the environmental impact of the ship generally. And uh, what we know from MRB and DCS um, is that the more insight we get into the performance of vessels, the more likelihood that a vessel will be scrapped and replaced uh, an inefficient vessel will be scrapped and replaced with something greener, which has the benefit of new ships coming into the fleet, which means the shipbuilders are happy, um, which means that the carbon cost of each shirt that comes in from the Far East or each laptop, each unit of energy that shipped in reduces each time. And again, those are generalized societal benefits. Okay, fantastic. Good. So maybe just 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 to summarise then. So in your mind, what do you think are the main opportunities for for transparency in shipping? Is there anything in particular you you can see happening in the next kind of one to two years to to accelerate it at all? You mentioned closer partnerships, perhaps. Yeah, I, I think Starlink. So Starlink. Better connectivity to vessels will will be a general tool that will lead to all, all kinds of additional data coming out. 
And, you know, everybody works. There's no silly, there's no stupid people working in shipping. They're all, they're all sharp folks. And what those guys do with the more generally available data, I think would will surprise and delight lots of people. Yeah. So the pressure for me as a product owner is how can I give my customers tools to analyze that data without them having to sort of start from scratch or engage, uh, you know, like a bespoke engineering consultancy to come and make something very specific. Um, so that, that's the first kind of challenge for me, but that will all be about helping people make sense of what they're currently doing um, without spending hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars doing so. Um, so the demand for analytics, I think, is going to be pretty strong in the next couple of years. Okay. I think lagging that will be um, yeah. an end to uh, planned maintenance. I think as soon as we get better data off vessels, people will start looking at um, managing their assets on a much more responsive basis to eliminate things like unplanned off hire and, um, you know, and reducing um, uh, stores and uh, spares yeah. costs. So those are the first two things. And I think that those will happen pretty quickly and probably happen sort of like in lockstep as data and bandwidth increases on board vessels. Great. Okay. A bit of a tangent question. So we, we talked about Starlink and obviously there's OneWeb and a couple of real big key players in the the more common marine VSAT space. Just, just while we're on the phone mm -hmm. or on the call, what, what's your view of the prospects of the kind of marine satcom space because we've seen so much i guess so many companies been driven down on price by the big players like starlink what's yeah. your opinion of, of the other players out there and, and the market in general i'm pretty you know it, it's you know my first job was telecoms yeah and mm. uh, so I, I i view all of this stuff as like a utility so it's a commodity and it's and there's going to be competition on price um so you know i don't i don't it's i don't really lie awake at night worrying about how inmarsat are going to do versus somebody else you know they're, they're big boys they'll sort that market out themselves i do think that mm. things like starlink are going to be a disruptor and i think that you know i mean i've yet to meet a tesla driver that says elon musk made their life worse in some way, shape, or form. So I think there's going to be a disruption, but I think that the outcome of that disruption is probably going to be quite positive for everybody. And let's face it, the existing satellite vendors have yeah. had 10 years to get really high bandwidth, low latency services at a really cheap price um, onto vessels. And you know the cost of that has been, um, you know, in, in some ways it's held the industry back. It's definitely impacted on mariners quality of life uh, you know the, the yeah. Yeah, access to the outside world off a ship uh, is something that, that's been really quite quite lagging for them um yeah so it's an interesting question I, uh, that that market's going to go through a period of disruption as it comes out of that market uh, out of that period of disruption unit costs will have gone down uh, initial costs will have gone down quality will have gone up and in many ways if you want to understand what better transparency in commercial shipping as a whole looks like, maybe have a look at what happens to the connectivity market because that's going to lead transparency, I think, in shipping generally. And if that 
goes well, i.e. everything gets better for the end user, then we've got reason to be optimistic about shipping as a whole. Is that a coherent answer? Because you, you you came out of left field. With yeah, that it's one, fantastic. Callum. I know. I'll throw that one at you, but now it's it's something I'm, I'm aware of. Obviously, and we're kind of we we have some specific maritime software, and obviously maritime satellite communications type of clients. And I'm just thinking for them and, and their market and their projects they're working on. Um, so that's really interesting, and that, that definitely makes sense for that for that to be kind of the the driver of the data to start with. Actually, getting it back to shore makes complete sense. So I think that's really helpful. Okay, awesome. All right. Well, thanks a lot for for giving your views on on those particular areas. Uh, I'm sure our audience will find it extremely helpful. Um, for anyone listening that might be interested in in a career, perhaps more in product management, um, can you give us a quick overview of kind of what the what the day to day life is? I know we touched on it earlier in the conversation, but but for any aspiring product managers. Um, what, what does the role entail and, and what, what kind of tips might you have for anyone looking to go into that role? Oh, Christ, I'm probably the worst person in the world to ask this because I never, I, <laughs> uh, product management didn't exist as a discipline when I went to school and I, I sort of ended up in it almost by accident. Um, I think the thing is, I, I think if you really enjoy solving problems for people and product management is really interesting, um, I think that you have to be relatively technical, but sometimes having a, a direct background mm. as a developer is distracting because you know how you would fix the problem. And actually, as I think we said at the top of this, the important thing really is much more talking to customers and working with them and then distilling their correct answer for the problem that they're experiencing. That's like stage one. And then I think stage two is is working out how to make that uh, solution to a problem general for everybody because you know it's not that hard to come up with the solution for a problem that Callum Beaumont Shipping Limited is having. It's very difficult though to come up with a solution to that problem that applies to all of the shipping companies out there and doing it in such a way as it can be uh, easily monetized. Uh, and really, if you're gonna if you're gonna go into product management, that that's kind of the nub of the problem that you're trying to solve. And if you're going into product management in shipping, um, you, you know those uh, sales cycles are long, the implementations are long, and the return on the investment has to be big to justify it. So it's a it's a tricky area to make a living. I personally would probably. Um, recommend a circuitous route into product management. But I have an enormously talented uh, set of product managers who work for me who have come into product management almost direct from shipping. Uh, so they're mariners themselves. And uh, mm -hmm. they, they seem to have made the, well, they make it look easy, man. It's really, it's really upsetting for me who has to work hard at it. <laughs> uh, these younger guys just sort of come in and, and, they, and they just sort of smack it all over the park from day one. So, but get used to talking to customers, regard it as a problem solving exercise, but for God's sake, you know, yeah. um, uh, at, at the end of the day, it's also a commercial enterprise and coming up with a brilliant solution to a problem that nobody really has. And the people who do have it won't pay you to fix it is, uh, is, is not the way to make a success of things. Gosh, maybe I do know what I'm talking about. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> no. Awesome. No, really helpful. Thank you. Okay, well, yeah, well, I think um, anything else you'd like to add before we kind of wrap things up? Um, I suppose if, if people who, who are thinking about becoming product managers want to kind of tip 
on on the tech that's really worth looking at. Um, yeah. I think that the when it comes to understanding data better and reusing data and getting um, sort of more out of the whole activity, I, I think that the Chat GPT style LLM uh, models, I think, are, are interesting, and I think probably in eighteen months you'll find versions of that technology that deal as well with uh, numbers data as well as they current currently do with uh, text-based stuff. So if somebody is really thinking of an area to specialize in or maybe set themselves apart when it comes to product management, have a look at uh, what's going on in the various uh, LLM worlds and get proficient in that because I think that people who are natively competent in that um, we'll we'll be doing some very interesting yep. things in a couple of years' time. Okay. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you very much um, for your time today. And before I let you go, obviously, always like to ask our guests a little bit more about themselves. So um, is there any couple of things you can share us that perhaps people may not know about you? Any particular hobbies that you enjoy doing or anything along those lines? Hobbies. Hobbies assumes that I have spare time and I've, I've got two um, relatively young kids. So <laughs> I, I think I'm a full time dad more than anything else almost. Uh, but in the time away from the children, away from work, I make music. I've been uh, a musician for 30 years now uh, and I work with other musicians. And um, that's a hugely rewarding thing. Very, very different to the day job, which I think is is the purpose of hobbies. Um, but also I live in the middle of nowhere, as you can tell from the internet connectivity. Uh, so I spend quite a lot of time outside in the country, in the south of the UK, um, which is great. When it's not minus 10 outside, because I'm yeah. freezing today, Callum. It's so cold here, I cannot tell you. <laughs> yeah, same here. Yeah. Cool. That, awesome. What, what sort of music do you play? Is there any particular instrument at all? Um, a guitar uh keys um and the recording studio i may i mainly uh mainly work producing other people's stuff nowadays because i live in the middle of nowhere and there's nobody else here who plays musical instruments as far as i can wow. discover so it's, it's a bit of a lonely furrow to play on. um but it, it, it is time away from yeah. work it's time away from the kids so that's good too <laughs> awesome great well yeah we can talk about that maybe maybe off off the camera yeah. but um that's really interesting. Thank you so much for sharing that. And if anybody would like to reach out to you um, with any questions regarding, obviously, what we spoke about today or about ShipNet, what's yep. the best way for them to do so? Uh, always LinkedIn, always available on LinkedIn, or you can email me direct at john.wills at shipnet.no. And I'll be happy to uh, okay. ask, answer any questions that you might have. Great. All right. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Um, and uh, yeah, I look forward to speaking again soon and we'll, we'll tidy up the uh, any little edits we need to make um, with regard to the, the signal and things. But um, thank you again for joining. Cool. Thanks so much, Matt. Good to see you.